Welcome to our podcast. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Darius Dale, senior analyst on the Hedgeye Macro team, to welcome you to our live webcast titled Risks Rising, Where to Invest Right Now. I'm joined in the studio today with Hedgeye CEO and head of macro, Keith McCullough. As always, if there are any questions, just pop into that chat team. We'll try to get to as many as we can before the end of the webcast. So we thank you for joining us and uh, take it over, Keith. Thank you, Darius. And as Darius says, the best time to change your position in markets is today. Every day you get a new chance, God willing, two feet on the floor. And again, two hands on the keyboard to change your positioning. And we have a process for that. So I'm going to go through that first. Going to do the process. Then we're going to get into the macro themes and then some of the details. And then we'll, of course, take your questions. But first, you know, why do we do what we do? The, the investment landscape has changed tremendously. If you didn't know that, obviously now you know. So we evolved alongside it. It's pretty simple. We're no longer running the 60-40 uh, bonds versus stock thing or anything like that. We're trying to front run the machine with two very causal factors, which are growth and inflation in rate of change terms. So if you go to the next slide, you can see that. It's just a basic sign curve. You start with that. What are the data telling you in terms of growth and inflation? So is the data accelerating or decelerating in second derivative terms? If you don't know what a second derivative is, try it with your car. So again, are you accelerating or decelerating? That's what we care about. We don't think uh, it really quite matters if anybody on old wall TV says something like, well, I think the valuation's attractive. I mean, that has absolutely nothing to do with what we do. Of course, if it is an attractive valuation, we'd appreciate that. But if it's not, too bad. Markets chase flows. Flows chase the direction of growth and inflation in rate of change terms. So what we come up with when we look at the world that way, as opposed to the old wall way, is we get a four-quadrant map. So if you look at the next slide, you can see that. That is what we call the quads, okay, the quad map. And we call it a map because every day we get a new data point along the map. So we're measuring and mapping. We are bean counters at the core. Darius Dale is the chief bean counter in chief <laughs> at Hedgeye. So again, what you see there is quad one, quad two, which are pro-growth, so that's where you have the rate of change of growth accelerating. And then you have quad three, which is growth is decelerating with inflation accelerating. That's called stagflation. And then you have quad four, the deep, dark, black hole, the quad four, right? So we made plenty of those calls in, in most recent years, actually in the most recent year, specifically in the USA, uh, back in 2018 in China. So again, when you go into quad four, bad things really happen. Even the Federal Reserve figures that out. So then they go dovish and try to drive you to a better quad. What they naturally end up with is not what they ask for, which is they end up a lot of the time in quad three. So quad three is not good for the human beings. It's good for the people that own the assets. Uh, sound familiar? Again, the inequality gap is largely a function of that. Uh, but again, it's not a political comment. It's just an economic fact. So again, quad four is the worst place to be. We're no longer in quad four in the U.S., but our model specifically last year at this time called out that risk when most people were not positioned for it. All right. So if you jump ahead and then within these now casts, so again, we're taking 30 data points per month, 90 per quarter, measuring and mapping them using a predictive tracking algorithm. Not a moving monkey average, no, 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 not a chart, not a stock story, not running around saying, are we going to buy stocks? No, 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 no. 
We again apply this to slide eight, you can see, to the entire edifice of global macro asset allocations, which includes, by the way, fixed income, it includes commodities, it includes all the different things that a rational investor who actually has net wealth that they continue to compound would consider as opposed to just stocks. Now, we do like stocks, but we only like certain sectors of stocks in each quadrant. So currently, in the third quadrant, we've pivoted from what we didn't like in quad four, if you don't mind, certain quads don't like certain things and certain quads like certain things. So a good example of a recent pivot we made in quad four where we were short or underweight or out of energy too long of energy because in quad three, that's what the thing says to do. So that's what we do. We do what the process says to do. That's the thing, the process. It's rules-based, okay? So if you want to look at a, a, a nowcast, just in a, maybe an easier lens to look at, go to slide 13 in the current macro deck, Josephine, and you can, you can see our nowcast of US GDP growth. So again, uh, for those of you that are um, you know, excited to look at companies and stocks, you understand this. Of course, when the revenues are accelerating, you understand what that means. It's the, the number that's reported is higher than the prior number reported. So that happened, and that was our call from the middle of 2016 until Q3 of 2018, because those black bars were what? They were accelerating, all right? Then, uh-oh, quad four, they decelerated. No, not a recession, but you could have lost 25, 30% of your money in stocks over a three-month period when that happened, and that's precisely the point. You don't have to have a recession to lose a lot of money. You have to have a rate of change change the direction. So again, that's the whole point. So that's where we're at. Our current nowcast on U.S. GDP growth on a year-over-year -year basis is now uh, below two for the first time, which is important because on a headline basis, the way that the old wall reads it is the next slide. Uh-oh, bean deal. Not gonna give me what I thought I was looking for. So again, that's what you get. So everybody and their brother, sister's brother, who are all related, by the way, are long of the China trade deal. Even the president's tweeting about it today, how, how magnificently glorious he's done for you and all the monies you've had and, and all you've made. Whatever, okay? What we have is a now cast of US GDP growth of 0.5 what percent? That's a zero, okay? That's not a typo. In as much as we were the only firm that was saying the GDP could have a three in front of it, before it did when it came from one, then two. So again, we're objective, we're apolitical, we're data dependent, and no, I don't like the guy, and no, I don't like really any politician. I've never voted for any party, I'm Canadian. How do you like them? <laughs> Bean deal counts. All right, uh, so that's important in as much as the inflation view. So this on slide 15 is uh, why our most important theme right now, and why the most important uh, place to put your money has been in inflation, okay? You know, we're not trying to solve for the world's social problems or political problems. We're trying to get you paid. And most importantly, we're trying to get you paid by not being long things that are going to get smoked. Okay, so again, inflation, our call was that it would fall from this time last year until uh, the end of the third quarter, and it did. That's why you bought treasuries, long-term bonds, short-term bonds. It didn't matter. We were long them across the curve. And now we're long treasury inflation protection uh, instead of all of that. So again, as inflation rises, you can buy commodities, you can buy treasury inflation protection, you can buy the Canadian stock market, you can buy energy stocks, you can buy cocoa, you can buy cattle. Those are all ideas that we have, which we'll uh, summarize at the end of this deck. But again, it's about the high probability bet when the street's on the wrong side of that bet. 100% of the people at the Federal Reserve will tell you after inflation's gone down for a year that their view is that inflation's no longer going up. Thanks for coming out. Same people told you that inflation was going to go up at this time last year and that the 10-year yield could go to 4 to 5%. Eh, wrong, all right? Those same people bought commodities back then. Eh, wrong. So again, what you don't want to be is wrong when everybody on CNBC is wrong. 
Okay, that makes you a monkey. You don't want to do that anymore. That's not really good for your health. It's certainly not good for the relationship that you have. If you have one, if you only have a relationship with your money, it's really bad for that one too. Okay, so what we want to do is have good behavior and make money when the rest of the people are losing money and compound our money across time. All right, so that's super important. Now let's just get into the themes. If you go to slide, um, slide 25, Josephine, I think we have it. Actually, uh, take, take a step back. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's good, slide 25, thank you. Um, so you can see that. These are the top three themes at Hedgeye. So again, currently, uh, we're, we're just gonna decisively say we're in quad three. So we were in quad four in Q4 of last year. We're in quad four in Q3 of this year. And now, as we come out of that, we're entering quad three. That's where you have inflation accelerating and real growth slowing. At the beginning of the quarter, when we made this presentation to our institutional clients, we said, we don't know. We gotta see more data. And every single data point, with the exception of maybe the ISM services number yesterday, which was a counter trend bounce, not a new trend. The trend is down, by the way, in both the ISM and the ISM services, notwithstanding everybody and their brother, sister's brother, who are all related, all hoping that the China bean deal makes those things reverse and go straight to the upside. Okay, so that's not what we're doing. We're taking every incoming data point, soft and hard, and we're bean counting them. Industrial production growth, retail sales growth, CapEx growth, all most recently, and big contributors to the negative, or the negative rate of change, obviously, but the 0.5% headline GDP number that's pending, that's really what's going on underneath the hood. So that's point number one. Point number two is earnings slowing, and we, will, we can do the better than expected if you'd like. But again, better than expected as companies continue to guide down lower numbers eventually runs into this problem which is negative year-over-year -year earnings growth, negative cash flow. That means that you can do less capex, less buybacks, less whatever they're telling you they're gonna do as far as the eye can see. So that's important in as much as the third theme, which is pretty simple to understand, and I think I've already summarized it, which is inflation accelerating, but I'll dig into that a little bit too. All right, so there's a quick summary for you. Now on slide 27, so this is if you look at the world within the lens of the quads, okay? This is not subject to opinion. These are economic facts looking backwards. So again, as opposed to valuation, oh, you heard that, right? Because everybody on TV starts with, well, I think the valuation's attractive. Well, I, I don't like the high multiple stock. This has nothing to do with valuation. Valuation is an opinion, and it certainly needs to have a qualified opinion that includes knowing what the forward outlook is going to be in terms of growth, is it accelerating or decelerating, and inflation. So looking backwards, what we can tell you is that the mean and the mode of the top 20 countries by GDP was quad four. Okay, that's bad. That's why bond yields went to the lows. That's why a lot of bad things happen. That's why people are begging on their knees for bean deals and again, Federal Reserve rate cuts, that all happened. Now the forward outlook could either be what you see right there, which is a little bit of green and some yellow, or what's currently now casting on slide 28, which as I pointed out, and if you go to the bottom of that slide, you can see United States, and we're using a three-year comparative base effect. If you have questions on that, have at it. It's the number one predictive value factor in our model. And I didn't mean value as a style, I mean having value, like actually something you would use, as opposed to just a value strategy forever. All right, United States, it says four, then three, then three, then four. You see that? You guys want me to draw on that? I'll just draw, can I draw on that quickly? Just to highlight, our outlook for every economy is right there on that page. So that's currently what we're saying in the USA is that we have, and the USA is down here, is that we already know what happened here. Everything that happened here, looking backward, again, is an economic fact, not an opinion, an economic fact. And eventually, like I said, even the Federal Reserve figures it out. So our outlook going forward for the USA is quad three, quad three, then uh-oh, quad four, in the middle of 2020, right ahead of the election. 
he better be tweeting. Uh, he'll be better be tweeting when that's happening. Okay, so that's 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 today. Now, if the data were to change, even if the most beautiful bean deals were to tr change the data, then we wake up again, God willing, two feet on the floor every morning, and we tell that to our subscribers. We are data dependent, and at, at this moment in time, the best thing that you can do with your capital is based on that forward outlook, okay? And as you'll notice, there are some greens in Europe. Spain looks good. Germany looks good. India looks good, which is not in Europe. Ooh, look at that. So again, there are places to put capital. Canada looks good. So again, we're talking about equity markets. Canada looks good. The sovereign bond in Canada does not look good. So again, a lot of the different things that are changing here have a lot to do with inflation accelerating. Canada, quite a better way to play inflation accelerating than owning a smidcap cloud stock with a CFO that's never seen a cycle. Okay, we'll get into those too. We don't like software stocks. Now, um, so why are we using a three-year comp? If you look to slide 29, uh, it's critical if not emphatically Trumpian critical to understand that the reason why China is slowing is not because of the trade war. You got that? It's slowing because they are comparing against the biggest stimulus in the history of China, which was coming out of 2016 when there was nothing remotely close to a trade war. Okay, so again, that's when Xi became elected for life, and as you can see, a massive contribution to global GDP growth. What he did in secondary industries, which includes, and you can jump ahead to this on slide 31, um, secondary industry growth, the growth rate, which would include, again, these secondary industries, heavy construction, partly empty cities, 64 million empty apartments, whatever it is that, you know, the most cement used in human history over a short period of time, this is, this is what happened. That's why the black line there went choo, from 0% growth to 14. Now, in terms of contribution, people would say in the U.S., oh, but that's not the U.S. consumer, which drives the economy. Well, in China, that drove 50% of GDP growth, okay? Five, zero, and as you can see uh, along that line uh, of his getting elected for life, that was a pretty consequential fact. So as you've had to cycle against those comparisons and against very tough tax reform comparisons, you know, lots of things have started to slow. So our base case is that China continues to slow into the middle of next year. Deal or no deal, that's our deal, okay? And again, we think that, I actually personally think that the deal in terms of how it's characterized and pumped and dumped, uh, not a lot of the dumping yet, but uh, it will be dumped. I mean, you can look at a lot of stocks, they've certainly been dumped. It's been pumped to you in a way that I think is actually negligent. It really doesn't reflect what the forward outlook is if you're data dependent. And that's what I call negligence, or being willfully blind, or being paid to politically or otherwise, or from an asset management perspective. That's being negligent or willfully blind or both. And by the way, I'm not the guy who sat there in the camera and stared you down throughout 08 and told you that this wasn't gonna be bad. We started the firm in 08 calling for this, Again, calling for a market crash that way. But again, it was the quads. Again, keep the quads within the lens of everything that you're doing. All right, uh, and China, why is it not different this time, by the way? Uh, slide 33. Uh, one, the dollar on the left side. It's at a 20-year high, okay? So that's high. And uh, most importantly, last time this happened, a lot of bad things started to happen in the U.S. economy and otherwise uh, coming out of, if you don't remember, the earnings slowdown that was protracted through the end of 01 and into 2002. You'd have to re review history and you'll see that, you know, okay, earnings might be a little bit better than expected because they're not bloody bad yet. Uh, but as they continue to get bloodier, then people go, oh, no, a strong dollar is a really bad thing. So the Chinese don't like that because the Chinese are short of dollars effectively. Okay, so if you look at the next slide, you can see on slide 34, what's happened in China on the left side of that, that, that left chart is that China's gone from a growth story, a secular and cyclical accelerating growth story, to an, and a current account surplus, to a developing current account deficit. So if you have a deficit at home, 
What do you fund it with? Yeah, you got to take on some credit. So you got to get some credit cards out, go steal some stuff from your neighbor's garden. Whatever you want to do, you got you to get it done, right? So now the Chinese are borrowing U.S. dollar-denominated credit debt, right? And they're not getting anything in terms of the juice. So as you can see on the right side, they've been cutting interest rates and, 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 and nothing's happening. Okay, so all they're really doing is they're stimulating to offset dollar strength. There's certainly not been any follow-through on that. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see on slide 35, on the right side, uh, shadow financing and total loans are obviously on the lows. So that's the problem, is that uh, in sharp contrast to the hope, and I mean legit and maybe epic hope on any historical measure at the all-time highs in the, in the Dow, bro, in points, which you can hear about every day if you turn on that old wall. Um, yeah, that's a problem. Okay, that's a big problem if China doesn't accelerate from here. And our call is that it won't. And if it does, then we'll change our call, if you don't mind. All right? Uh, and if you do mind, it doesn't particularly matter. I mean, I'm just going to do what I do because I'm selfish and I want to make as much money as possible uh, with, again, the right asset allocation calls using the right data points. Um, so, again, you look at slide 36, the big joke here is that the Fed doesn't get this yet. Now, this shouldn't surprise you entirely, but... Just to review history, uh, in order for Beijing to bail us out, the Fed has to capitulate. And what we mean by that is that those dots, those beautifully inaccurate dots, those dots are the Fed's forecasts, which are wrong about 70% of the time. So what could possibly go wrong? Now, we're at the widest gap. That arrow there shows Fed fund futures are at their widest gap, biggest difference of opinion versus the Fed's future forecasts. So if the Fed doesn't figure this out soon and go whole hog dovish, and I mean cut by 25, 50 basis points at a time, this could get unruly quickly, okay? Now the Fed, uh, if it doesn't get the dollar to go down, this is just gonna get tighter and tighter and tighter economic conditions in China, and that's a big problem. Again, irrespective of your wildest dreams of whatever these deals are supposed to be. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? Look at slide 37. Well, China wouldn't recover. So again, the black line there uh, chasing what's already very low and falling, which is secondary industries in China. Uh, we think that that could slow to 3% and then even 0%. That would be a big problem, uh, by the way. So that's the bear case. The other side of the bear case is slide 38 back to the USA. What could possibly go wrong? On the left side, if, you've, if you're only 35 years old or younger, you think that jobless claims in America only go down, that you only go to full, full employment every year. Okay, guess what? That, that's only true until it stops. And then you start to see jobless claims rising. So we're at precisely the point where that should happen. So you correlate the very basic fact that corporates, corporations start to make less and less, then their earnings go negative year over year, then they go down the line and they start firing people. And then you file a jobless claim. So that's what happens. And as you'll note, that line on the left side goes up not, not so uh, non-slowly. It explodes to the upside. So if you're looking for the next phase of Fed dovishness, you're looking for that black line to start to go up at a fast rate, uh, which it has done 100% of the time off the cycle low. On slide 39, the relationship that currently exists, which is uh, you know, in rate of change terms, people are getting hired less, you know, starts to develop as what you have to pay them goes up more. And as that, that relationship continues to manifest, that's how margins erode. So I think you understand how that happens. Maybe people don't understand this within the lens of history. So if you look at the next slide on slide 40, one of the most important long-term charts that any investor should consider, particularly with the biggest bubble in the history of private equity, venture capital, corporate credit, that is built on the back of the people not getting paid. Yeah, that's true, all right? People aren't getting paid relative to capital. That's the whole point of the line. The black line is the capital. The private equity capital, which we're now short of. First time I've shorted private equity in my career. I'm actually pretty excited about it. Uh, and then the other <laughs> side of it 
is the people, the green. So rise up, people. Now, you think Trump or Elizabeth Warren are going to run on getting the people fired? Absolutely not. Or paying them less? Why do you think you can get paid 18 bucks an hour at Walmart now? So the, the, the green line's rising, the black line's coming down, margins in due course continue to get squeezed, and people's hope that earnings are going to be resuscitated by a bean deal become more and more of a joke. All right, so that's, uh, that's the roundup on that. So that's the first theme. Uh, let's just dig into the second theme, which is that earnings slowing. Now, you start with a cartoon on slide 53. All these charts, you know, it's... That's, that's my best attempt to get back on CNBC. I'll just be a cartoon <laughs> on the Cartoon Network. The there you best. go. Yeah, there you go. And people say, well, why do you pick on them? Well, people lose a lot of their money listening to that stuff. And I actually, we started this firm with one very basic mission, which is democratize data-dependent research at the highest level. I was, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of people bloviating with no process. So we just decided to change it instead of whining about it. Uh, but it's kind of a Mac PC thing too, right? We're the cool, they're the non-cool. We do it right. They're kind of like struggling, whatever. Uh, but you, I think people generally kind of like the cartoons because it's better than the Cartoon Network. Uh, slide 54. <laughs> All right. So if you look at that, uh, this, is, this, is, this is what you got to believe. So at this point, even if you're a valuation, if, if you start with valuation, then this should scare the hell out of you. Uh, what's happened is the S&P 500 now trades... Uh, at a multiple that's almost 25% higher than where it started the year, and the Russell's at a 45% higher multiple. Why? Because the earnings went down, and the stocks haven't gone straight down yet like they did in May, in August, in October, in all of the fourth quarter of last year. What could possibly go wrong? So what this is telling you is that people are increasingly betting on a recovery that we are saying is increasingly improbable in earnings space. Okay. Now, if they were to dislocate earnings from stocks, you know, like they did in 2001, by the way, this is actually the only other time that the S&P 500 has deviated on this order of magnitude relative to the decline in earnings, then it would be different this time. But that was actually one of the, in the last 20 years, one of the worst times. You could have been buying stocks at the all-time highs. It was coming out of the year 2000, obviously. And we have some very similar bubbles in technology, or now they call it cloud. Back then it was called the internet. Um, slide 55. <laughs> okay, slide 55. Darius still likes my jokes. Hey, look at this. What could possibly go wrong? So look at the S&P 500 next 12-month earning forecast versus the Russells. Now, somebody's lying here, and I think it's the S&P 500 companies. Now, if it's the CEO who, on average, the S&P 500 has a tenure of four, maybe 4.3 years per CEO, do you think they really care? No. Nah, I think they just want to get paid. Yeah. yeah. And as long as we can blame China for as long as possible, we don't have to guide down. But guess what? If that line comes down, you're going to see not only earnings compression, you're going to see a margin compression. You're going to see a multiple compression. And those are violent moves. And guess what? Those happen quite typically in what quad? Quad three. All right. Quad four, you start to see some multiple expansion because the numbers are going down so fast that you can't catch up. All right. So that's really important when you look at uh, the market in terms of its current expectations. If you jump ahead to a couple other important charts before we uh, start to take some questions, uh, I just want to address some of the things that people, you know, kind of like highlight as things that are going to get things right back on track. Okay. Let's go to slide um, uh, the ISM. That's one. Well, what if the ISM's turnkey? Well, this is kind of an interesting on slide 63. So everybody that is certain that the ISM is going to go up from here has one thing in common. All those people, all those permables, not one of them told you that it was going to slow. So you got to use, you got to take their word for it. They only know when it goes up because it's always going to go up. They just don't know from, from what point. All right. So this thing barely bounced last week. And I mean barely. 
And then the ISM services number bounced a little bit more yesterday. But underneath the ISM services report, like four different components of it broke down to new lows. We're talking like we're coming off you know, cycle lows here in some of these charts. And again, just betting on one of those things is so old wall. You just wouldn't do that. I mean, unless you're still reading the journal and doing stuff like that. Uh, but you certainly wouldn't be listening to me. All right, slide 64. All right, slide 64. Now, here are the facts. Capital goods, CapEx, continues to go negative, like manufacturing, like an industrial production growth. They're negative on a year-over-year basis. Not just negative as in the second derivative negative, negative on a year-over-year basis. So these things are already happening. Um, if you look at ISM new orders against CapEx year-over-year on slide 65, guess what? One leads the other. And one is piking, and the other hasn't gone down quite enough yet. I think that's a problem. If you ask small to medium-sized businesses, which we have, because we have a survey for that, slide 66, yeah, they don't buy into this bullshit on TV. No, not at all. I mean, literally, the president of the United States is taunting the stock market, while people who actually run small, medium-sized businesses are saying that their forward outlook is crashing. You think it's all because of exports? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. It's probably because people who run real businesses as opposed to their mouths, uh, slide 67, which I couldn't say in, in, you know, now in the last 11 years, I have my own business. Hey, you, do both. Um, you know, I know how it works. Slide 67. Because they have a lot of inventory and they don't have orders for it. And guess what? Inventories peak pro-cyclically, write that word down, and then you get a recession. So again, the most likely outcome for recessionary risk to rise, not only once we get the Q1, Q4 GDP report with a zero in front of it, expectations will go up, obviously. You, you think CNN's going batshit crazy on that now. Just wait till they see a zero on GDP. Uh, and then it's quad four in 2020. So again, just want to remind you of the map and of all the time series that are leading you there, which is fully loaded with inventory. Now, the consumer, I don't know if you've heard this, <laughs> but the consumer is in great shape. You heard that? Yeah, I've heard several that. times. Yeah, which is, by the way, uh, what happens 100% of the time at every economic cycle. It is a useless comment. If you said that at the end of October of 07, before Mar the U.S. stock market never went up again until April of 2009, you could have equally said that. But every time we, we, we cart out a whole new cattle class of people that want to talk, I'd be long cattle, but I don't want to be long their views. Okay, this is important. <laughs> so you want to be sure that you don't get sucked into this. Look at slide 69. Now, this is not fake news. This is if you ask human beings in America, what is your propensity or what is your appetite to buy something large for the home? And we're not talking about a car that you can get 0% financing on. We're talking about anything other than autos. It's actually at the lowest level since 2008. Newsflash, that's a problem. People's confidence is now falling. And they're falling in places that you would prefer they don't fall. Uh, summary slide on earnings, which is slide 73. Okay, so this is... The, the heart of the matter. Okay, so let's just, actually, I got a doodle on this because this one puts a bee in my bonnet. <laughs> Not that anything would, but you know, when people are lying to you every day and mischaracterizing stuff, okay? So let's just look at this line, okay? So this is S&P 500 earnings in the aggregate. We have sales too, by sector. Sales and earnings by sector. This is earnings. So when earnings bottomed in Q1 of 2016, by the way, we're the only firm that was calling for that to start to slow by 2015 into 2016. By the low, they kept saying better than expected back in the middle of 2015. Then it got worse than expected at, from a very low level. And then you should have bought stocks when earnings were bloody negative. Energy earnings were minus 110%. Then fast forward all the way to the full cycle. Hedge eyes bullish on growth throughout this entire period, by the way. Earnings are accelerating. Oh, then they stopped accelerating right at the peak of the cycle. See that? But don't worry, the earnings growth rate got cut in half to 12% from 24 in Q4, 
What could possibly go wrong? Everybody thought that earnings would be up higher than the prior quarter. Wrong, right? Then they go to one, then they do 1.7, and now what's, oh, they're better than expected, Keith, because they're minus one. Because minus one isn't really minus five to eight, and if we get to minus five to eight, we know we're all screwed. So as long as a company doesn't admit that that could possibly happen, everything's perfect. <laughs> At the same time, consumer discretionary and technology, which are the two sectors that everybody owns, admit it. You, a lot of people owned the reform broker. I got Twitter, I got Uber, I got Slack, I got... <laughs> you couldn't make that stuff up if you tried, right? These stocks are imploding, because guess what? Look at information technology, negative earnings, negative earnings, negative earnings. That's the problem, is that we already have a slowdown in the parts of people's portfolios that matter, and you know that stock by stock. It's amazing to watch the index, no doubt. But if all you're here to do is learn about what the Dow's gonna do in points, you should turn this off now because you're never going to pay us a dime. That's not what you should do. And you shouldn't pay anybody for that. No, you don't have to pay That's free. It's free. It's free, right? It's free. And now there's 0% commissions at E-Trade, Ameritrade. literally free. You can literally do that for free. <laughs> so, again, if you want to do that for free, you should because there's a risk for... Uh, <laughs> a lot of risk associated with free. And we see how people do trade that. that way. So, anyway, just to put a, um, a bow on top of this, inflation accelerating. So, that's the theme that you can be invested in. Mm -hmm. There's always a place to put your money. All right, Bridgewater's taught people that for years and, and done a very good job at it, I might add. Ray Dalio, by the way, uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw him yesterday, but he called what's currently happened in the stock market a dream. Now, it's just an opinion, right? But he does do the four-quadrant thing, and he's nobody's idiot. So I wouldn't just say that this is a non-dream, okay? The multiples based on this China deal and everything else and a non-deceleration in earnings, I think, is a pipe dream. So I'm just going to ride Ray's point there yesterday uh, and remind you of what happened. Um, just, to, uh, just to look at our inflation on slide 76, you can see that. Uh, again, we have it going up now. Uh, the, that's the whole point about the, the green box and then the blue box. But it's only a six-month call, so it's not like inflation is going to go to the moon. It's, a, it's somewhere where we think we can hide and make some money against consensus for the next six months, starting back in October. Uh, if you didn't pay for our call on energy back in October, you should have. That, that was a good call. All right. And, and then the other side, we want to be short consumer staple companies that have to eat that. Okay, and I'll get into that in a second. But you can also see that on slide 77. Uh, it's not just a U.S. call. It's a China call. China's in quad three. That, it, there's no debate about that. Uh, so China inflation rising, and, and even Eurozone inflation starting to rise, uh, albeit a dead cat bounce. Uh, slide 78, places you can get paid, be long food and energy. Believe the man, he's going to buy a lot of food. They're going to get the Chinese to buy a lot of food. they got a lot of people, and this is dis disgusting, but they have death camps and everything. they got to feed people. It's terrible what's going on in China, and they need food. So that's important, all right? So we're going to be long food and energy. That's one real big place to put some capital, and certainly the equities embedded therein. Um, so, so something to think about there. Now, there's some eight, uh, what we call asymmetric setups in inflation, slide 80 and slide 81. Slide 80, you can see it. So that's the people, uh, which is asymmetric if only because it's late cycle. The last of late cycle indicators to peak is wages, by the way. And if you can't see that the left side chart is at the top end of the right corner where grandma keeps the cookies in hockey terms, that's where you stick that puck if you can, if you can shoot it. That's where it is. That's terrible. And European economies, too. Now, if you look at slide 81, I don't know if you heard about the pigs or swine fever in China, but that's 70% inflation for pigs. That's a big, big component, uh, big, big, massively big component. So you got to feed the pigs, the new pigs, soy. So you got to buy a lot of soybeans. All right. So that the other thing is you have this recent consumption tax in Japan. So all these things are going to equate to not new lows in global bond yields. That's also been a new call verse. The biggest of the move for us on long-term treasuries is behind us. 
We still think you could trade him with a bullish bias, but one of the best calls you, you could have ever made in your career was to buy long-term treasuries at this time last year on every dip and owned it from the 10-year yield going from the 3.25 to 1.4%. Now we just have it basically meandering between call it 1.5% and 1.9%, chopping a lot of people up along the way because inflation is not going down anymore uh, at the same time real growth is. So that's the whole point in quad three. Being long treasuries is a fine place to be, uh, particularly the short end of the curve as the Fed decides, oh, wow, it's stagflation. It's not an acceleration. And when the Fed cuts interest rates and, and quickly, you get all your action on the short end of the curve. So don't forget that the long end of the curve is the market's expectation, which certainly involves rising inflation expectations now. And the short end of the curve is what the Fed's doing. So the Fed, we do think, at some point between now and December, is going to have to have another panic. That would probably be on any S&P 500 decline, by the way. And the way that you play that is to buy short-term treasuries. Um, and, 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 and I think that that's pretty clear if it's not. Ask me some questions on it. Consumer staples uh, on the short side on slide 87. Okay, so this is really easy to understand. This is so easy, a mucker can understand and teach it. That was the first group of stocks that my boss on the buy side gave me because they're so easy to understand. You don't have to know really anything. All you have to know is what are the comps and what are the costs, okay? So what is the revenue doing and what are the costs doing? So the problem with consumer staples, and this is all back-tested, so again, we back-test every single thing that ticks, which includes on the left side high dividend index and uh, on, the, on the right side consumer staples. It shouldn't surprise you that consumer staple stocks do well when we're in quad four. Not only are their bond proxies, but their input costs are falling in quad four. That's when inflation's falling. And again, these companies are just like these boring things. But when input costs start to rise and they can't take price, bang, multiple compression. That's McDonald's. Uh, Easterbrook's problems set aside, which are, again, disgusting, uh, is, is what it is. McDonald's is a short. It's a consumer staple company with rising cost pressure and, again, slowing top-line growth. No pricing power. So those are the kinds of things that we don't like that we used to like. So what you'll find at Hedgeye is we change our mind and like to go both ways. And that's totally cool with my wife, too. Anyway, slide 89, uh, how I am is cool with her is what I meant by that. Slide 89, don't do this. <laughs> don't be long software cloud bubbles. Uh, that, if you look at most mutual funds, that's what they're still decked to the halls with glory in. Uh, and that is, again, the point on this is that the best is behind you. So if all you do is focus on the comps. So the peak growth rate for software was at the end of 2018 and into early 2019. That's when all the bubbles came to be. That's when hundreds of companies wanted to come public at those 15 to 20 times revenue multiples. Like we're talking multiples the world's rarely seen. Okay, now they're in rarefied airspace and the deceleration in the revenue growth's already started. Even at Amazon Web Services, which is only slowed, by the way, and not ironically, as much as baseline software CapEx is slowed. Because guess what they're the recipient of? Trump's tax reform. It's where companies were allowed to take 100% depreciation on software as CapEx instead of OpEx. OpEx is operating costs. CapEx is capital expenditure. You think that that helped part of the bubble? Of course it did. And we wrote it. We liked it. We loved them because they had high multiples. Because in quad one and two, which is what we had in 2017, that's what you buy. You love high multiples. Now you don't. No, 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 no. That's a big problem out there. We still like software uh, on the short side. Last slide on that, slide 93. Long energy, short software. Said no one on Wall Street yet, okay? <laughs> no. Other than us. And we're there. We've been on software. We actually went negative on software at the, at, at the beginning of July in our Q, uh, Q3 presentation. And now we're, we just went bullish on energy at the beginning of October. So again, energy is at the lowest level as a percentage of the S&P 500 index weight. And software, it's a high, high level. 
So literally, that's the only thing. If you want to just start a hedge fund and do better than 80% of them right out of the box, just have that as your biggest pair trade. Okay, that's, that's what we think is the best thing to do. The best way to, to, again, express your views on bloated cost structures, don't forget too. These software companies have legions of salespeople. And the only way that they know how to get more sales is to hire more people, okay? Energy, nobody wants to touch it with a 5,000 foot pole. We tried doing meetings in Houston and nobody could do a meeting. I mean, it's crazy. Even, even in the place where they'd be in the business of being long energy, they can't be long energy. So again, long energy against software, that's a big idea. In as much as what most of the ideas that I said, and I'll just summarize with the summary slide on uh, my, my favorite number in hockey, Wayne Gretzky's 99 slide there, number 99. There, there are all the conclusions of what I just rattled off hopefully in a, uh, an acceptable 35 minutes. Uh, the trades are new ideas. They're not just, we're not day traders. Uh, that means that we've, you know, again, we, we introduced it initially. So that's long energy, long Canada, long the Canadian dollar as well, long cattle or livestock, lumber, cocoa, and tips. And on the short side, consumer staples and private equity, which I mentioned, and software clouds and comps. So again, uh, all the trending ideas are the ones that we've had on for more than three months, of course. We don't have to reiterate that. They just uh, are there because we still have them on. We've taken some of them off because we don't like them anymore. So that's what we currently have on. And again, uh, if anything changes, everybody at Hedge Eye knows you get a real-time alert and or an ETF Pro signal. Plenty of our products signal exactly what we like and when. We're accountable 100% of the time. We're not right 100% of the time like the people on TV, but we are 100% of the time time stamping things. And most importantly, you know why we're wrong when we're wrong. That's the most important thing with the process. When you're right, are you lucky? Or are you right for the right reasons? Ask a pro who plays golf. Did you make that birdie because you're playing well or did you get lucky? You know, Again, are you getting lucky or are you making money for the right reasons and you're not losing money for the right reasons? These are important questions that you should think about all the time when you think about your own money. Forget about all these other people trying to make money on you. That's the most important question to answer and hopefully we can answer some of your questions here in the queue. Yeah, no, totally. I think uh, I wrote about this in the other look, but you know, there's a lot of people who make a lot of money for the wrong reasons in this industry and it builds over confidence. And I think that's uh, what Amashiosi's son learned with the WeWork and Uber right down this morning uh, when he reported a $6.5 billion quarterly loss. Uh, so, SoftBank. Because <laughs> people that were long of these clouds and unicorns mm -hmm. were in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I don't think he right. realized that. I think he thought it was his own brilliance. Well, I mean, that, that can quite often happen when things, and again, um, that's, that's not just his problem. Mm -hmm. It's what people on Wall Street, by the way, I mean, they're a large number and a very large percentage of people who come and go because they get one thing right. And that's, that's what it is. And they should go write a book about it. But again, this is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to have an agnostic process that's objective and data dependent so that we don't get caught in, uh, in that kind of a confirmation bias. Yeah, agnostic, objective, data dependent, and repeatable. Yeah. We do the same thing every day, folks. All right, let's just hop into the queue here, starting with John. Um, you talk a lot about volatility as part of your investing framework. How should, in, that, in the lens of what you're looking at, how should we view the dynamic of VIX down, equities down like today? Uh, today, do we just want to talk about today? Like, is this today what matters today? Uh, what's, what's, I mean, today actually treasuries are up and you have uh, equities down, but we're talking like barely, you know? I, 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 I warn you that if you try to make sense of the market and what every component of it does every, every day, day you wow, crazy. you're gonna need some Advil. And then you're gonna have to drink and then you're gonna have to have some more Advil after that the next day. That's a bad rabbit hole. You don't want to go down that. What you want to look at is the trend. 
So that's actually, you know, if you look at slide 20 in our macro deck, it's one of the slides I didn't use in the teaching. We have a quantitative uh, process, obviously, to analyze what's happening on I'd, I'd look at things like on a three-week or less basis, not on a three hours or less. I'd consider the trend the most dominant, which is three months or more. And if you can really get the turns right at the tail every three years, wow, you, do, you, you just do fine. And you don't have to bang your head against the wall trying to make sense of every single move. Because really, I don't know what the answer is to your question. I haven't thought about it at all today. Cool. Awesome. Sean's asking, uh, when you pivot between quads, do you, do you position size on a beta-adjusted basis and based on potential trend breakouts or breakdowns? Yeah, I mean, well, so if you, so um, when we pivot to a quad, that means that we have a new buy list. Okay, mm -hmm. so we'll go back to slide uh, 99. Oh, no. So now all of a sudden I got a bunch of new things that I haven't bought, thank God, for a year because those have been horrible places to have your money. Okay, so again, I have these new things that I'm going to buy. And then I start averaging into them. Now, it's the best time to be you, by the way, particularly even if you're an institutional client, which we have plenty of those on this, uh, on this broadcast, and thanks for joining. You still have personal accounts. We all get to transact for free, okay? I can't understate how awesome that is because now we can build core positions. Like my max position in equity is 6% in my, you know, my longer-term and taxable accounts. So when I think about that, it's like, well, I could buy like 10 basis points at a time, all the way to 6%. And that's how I'd build a position in energy. But I'd buy it on pullbacks. I'd sell some on bounces. That's how I'd do it. So that's how I average into it. And I do beta adjust my positions. And again, for those of you that don't know what that means, uh, energy has a higher beta than something like buying tips, much higher beta. So you got to beta adjust the position. So again, 6% beta adjusted could be something that's more like a 4.9% position of actual capital, uh, whereas something beta adjusted 6% with a super low beta might be more than 6% of your capital. Indeed. Awesome. Um, something that was, you know, for a long period of time, more than six, or, or this ex its exposure was more than six in an aggregate basis, uh, was low, low beta min volatility stocks. Yep. Uh, that's obviously been a terrific investment for the past year in the context of quads three and four since the cycle peak. Uh, how do you see that? Uh, uh, how do you see this exposure playing out going forward? Well, I think um, anytime the VIX gets to this level and signals this level of, of what I call complacency and capitulation, complacency, i.e., the bulls are tweeting. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, of all the things I've seen that guy tweet, and I really care about like I care about like one one thousandth of a percent of him. Now he's talking about my world. Uh, for him to tweet that about stocks was quite something in, in U.S. history. I don't think it will age well. Uh, but, but but when you when you really think about this, I mean, you're just the volatility at this point, complacency and capitulation. Complacency by the bulls, fully loaded with the president of the United States, trumping up what has been all all of his uh, his creation, and then you got capitulation. Look at that. Look at that tweet. You are so lucky to have me as your president. Just kidding, like a little, hey, hey. Um, that, that's ridiculous. That's, I don't even know if you could use a word to describe that. But that is complacency, okay? So there is a word. And capitulation, shorts do not think that they could short stocks, which is kind of crazy because we've had epic declines in Netflix, Uber, Slack, plenty of things that people own as story stocks. Shake Shack yesterday. I mean, there are plenty of names that you can make money on the short side if you're a professional short seller that knows what to do. So again, from this level, I think buying, getting long volatility is a great idea because again, low beta minimum vol is, is the upside down of that, right? You're gonna buy things that have lower betas and minimum vol when you're in quad, quad three going back to quad four. And I think there's a great opportunity in that. Cool, cool. You talk about complacency, you talk about the potential for a market crash. So Nick's just come right and asking. He says, you, you, uh, you've said many times that this reminds you of October 2007. 
Are you expecting a crash very soon or just a top in the major U.S. indices? No, and to be clear, on, on November the 2nd of 2007, uh, that was the day that I got fired. I mean, I wasn't calling for a stock market crash. I was calling for the cycle to slow. You don't have to call crashes. Like, I don't know who trained you to, to, to look for people that call crashes and call for the next slag hire. I mean, these, you have to really actually not be that bright to listen to that and believe that. I mean, that, that's, that, what you should talk about is the probability of a decline. Okay? The probability of a decline was rising at the end of October 2007. The reason why I, I reference that point is because nobody thought that anything could go wrong. That was the all-time high, by the way, at that point. And then in November of 07, the S&P was down 6%. Again, you didn't have to call for a crash. You have to call for an arrest of the ascent and the right quads. So that's, that's the way that we do it. I think it would be uh, arrogant beyond repute to say, well, I'm Keith McCall, I called the 2008 crash, and therefore every single time I call for a market decline, it has to be a crash. That's absurd, right? Yeah, we called the 2008 crash as we started to crash. It's not that complicated. And the probability was starting to rise throughout the beginning of the decline that a crash could occur. Okay, That's the way you should think about it, as opposed to these one and done, put somebody on a pedestal. Because guess what? If you're looking for Byron Ween, and he's going to go away, and then the next, next person, and then you're looking for the next person, and then before you know it, you're watching CNBC. I mean, that's terrible. Like, that's not what you want to be doing. You want to be following the sine curve of data that leads you to probabilities rising or falling of anything bad or good happening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, Aman's asking a pretty good question here. We get this a lot in institutional meetings. Uh, how do you consider the enormous level of, of Fed QE in your asset allocation? Liquidity seems to overwhelm, will overwhelm everything in recent weeks. Well, in recent weeks, I'm on. I don't, my, the 21 years going on, to, however many years I'm, I'm, God allows me to live, you know, again, fruitfully on this earth. I don't really deal with that. I start with, what did I start with? Nothing. I'm the son of a firefighter. I had student debt. I started working on Wall Street. Then when I started making money and saving some money and started investing money, make money on top of that. As I've gone for 21 years, I've never changed this. Don't lose the money and have a strategy, a plan, a process to compound your wealth, okay? QE has never factored, I mean, it's, fa it's factored into the data that's coming into the model, but it's, I never start with that. I think that's a shortcut. I think it's people that are re reading Zero Edge and wherever else that just says, oh, you just got to buy stocks. Well, what if you said that, I'm on, on this day last year? What if you said that? Like, I mean, you got to ask yourself, you know, if there's a counterfactual or not. I mean, we've had many declines. I mean, demonstrable declines at the most inopportune time when the most amount of people were not prepared for it. So again, that's how you manage risk. You don't have to say, well, it's just buy stocks and hold them. You, did you really feel that way on December 24th of last year? That's where I covered all my shorts in real-time alerts. You can go back and they're all timestamped. You know, that's where you book your gains. And then you set up for the next move. So again, I don't think you need to get stuck in that Wally world. If anything, yeah, QE has perpetuated the return that we really liked in the last year, which is being long, long duration bonds, short duration bonds, anything that looked like a bond. Utilities hit new all-time highs in terms of their multiples. So did consumer staples. You know, yeah, it helped, but it didn't drive my decision-making process, and it didn't make me an apologist, where every day I have to wake up to the world just, oh, why do any work? <laughs> Yeah, why? And then one thing I'll also add on this discussion about uh, liquidity is the, the P in the GIP model stands for policy. We're trying to use the rates of change and growth and inflation Real to important. proactively predict 
Fed policy pivots. Yeah. This is why you get long bonds while they're quote unquote hiking interest rates in Q4 of last year. This is why you allocate to duration across asset classes, particularly in, in equity bond proxies. Yeah. We want to front run what the, the Fed's most likely behavior is going to be. Yeah, real important point, Darius. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's so much better than my rant, and it was tighter. I mean, you go mm-hmm. look, G, growth, inflation, the relationship between the two gives, gives you the quads, mm-hmm. right? I get the rate of change of that and the rate of change of that right, and that front runs the Fed, the P, the policymaker. So if we get quad three and earnings go from down one and two, better than expected, to down five to eight, and we get a widening of credit spreads and rising jobless claims, I can proactively predict the P, that the Fed will cut interest rates aggressively, the dollar will start to go down for real, and my commodity holdings go up. Tighter. A little tighter, right? I got that a little tighter than the prior rant. Because again, that's the hallmark of what we do. I rant when I get a question that annoys me. When I know, when a question is asked surgically about what I'm doing, I can answer it quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's keep it moving here. Uh, Johnny's asking, at the risk of being laughed out of the room, where does Bitcoin fit in the GIP model? It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. You no, know, it's just like um, wine. Mm-hmm. I have wine. Some people enjoy their Bitcoins. I like it personally when it's trading bullish trend, which we have something for that. So daily uh, in your stat pack, for those of you that subscribe to Hedgeye, you'll find Bitcoin. You'll see whether it's bullish or bearish trend on our quantitative signal, which, by the way, is built on slide 22. You guys can show that our price, volume, and volatility model. The only reason why I have an opinion on Bitcoin now is because vol trades uh, and, again, options trades. So, again, that's helpful. I wouldn't have an opinion otherwise. Um, So to me, it just looks like anything else that, that ticks. I mean, cocoa looks good. Uh, Bitcoin's neutral right now, cocoa being like the, the stuff you put in chocolate. Um, so again, to me, it's just a commodity like anything else. Uh, that's where it fits, and that's why I, qu- I equated it to wine. Um, people don't ask me about wine, but I have a lot of wine, and I buy it uh, aggressively and appropriately in the right quadrants, and again, I buy it in the right currency, and then I store it. That's what I do. So again, that's an asset class to me. Uh, it's not something that trades freely every day. That would be a cool thing to have, though, if somebody wants to invent that. Yeah, totally. Futures on Barolos and Brunelles. Yeah, I'm more of a Napa guy myself. Yeah. But then we really nice. have uh, some interesting opinions to trade the, to trade against the crowd. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> awesome. A uh, couple questions here on the financials. I'll just combine them. Uh, what are your thoughts on the financials in the context of the steepening yield curve? And then what are your thoughts on the financials in the context of Jay Powell potentially not being Ben Bernanke and not here to save banks, but rather private equity? Well, I think uh, fading the financials when the yield curve was steeper, by the way, in July was the right call, and I'd do the same thing here. Uh, In fact, the the yield curve is less steep than it was in July. So again, always go back. Whatever people on Wall Street are pitching you, and you're getting sold on something all the time, right? Don't forget that they're making money on you buying into whatever it is that they're trying to have you believe. So again, people that are running value funds are all along the financials. People that have been along the financials for uh, two years have done absolutely nothing from their peak back then. They might be up a percent or two. Nothing compared to like the pivots we've made. Um, The financials are at precisely the point where you'd sell them. Okay, so I shorted private equity yesterday because I think it's a juicier way to short the financials. PSP is the ETF on that. Um, But I would definitely not buy the financials here. Uh, I prefer that the volatility signal starts to build a bit in the XLF or the KRE, which it has not. That's why I've stayed away from it. Instead, yesterday I shorted industrials uh, because industrials, I think, is a cleaner way to play China slowing than, you know, having an excessively uh, strong uh, conditional bet on the yield curve. But again, I just remind you, the yield curve on 10s, 2s was 32 basis points wide at the end of July. Today, it's 24 basis points wide. So it's a lower high. Again, you could have got plugged. You don't want to get plugged at these points when everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, the chart looks good. 
Charts can really ruin your capital. They can ruin your life, really. You can ask a lot of people if you want me to get you some addresses of former famous people uh, that trade moving monkeys. We can do that. And I can assure you right now, the financials look as good as they looked in July to them. And I think it's based on the same thing, which is actually not looking as good as it did in July. So again, by August, obviously, they were down on the linoleum floor, like in the, you know, in the, in the, in the fetal position. Uh, I, don't, I don't particularly like to do that because my wife will notice and it's just not a good day. Cool. Awesome. Charles Zaxson, process question here. Uh, when you're taking a short position with puts, as you like to do often, if you often like to do in real-time alerts, yep. how much time premium do you tend to buy? Uh, two to four weeks. Two if four I'm weeks. trading puts, yeah. I mean, that's, I'm a, that's where I, it's real go-go, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. No, but again, because I'm using the immediate term trade over bot signal, and again, my duration on that is three weeks or less, then, wild and surprisingly, it, two to four weeks is where I trade options. So again, I'm a very immediate term. If I get that signal, then I'll buy those. I'll add to them the next day if I'm wrong on the first day. Uh, I like doing that less now because I get to trade everything else for free. I'm like addicted to this free thing. It's awesome. I think I'll be addicted to it for the rest of my life. Totally. And just going back to the, the genesis of the question, any back tests of U.S. equity history would tell you that shorting and holding is not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, the market tends to go up over time as economies tend to grow over time. So when you're shorting, you tend to want to have your catalyst within two to four weeks um, for the market to sort of reprice the new information, the information surprise that they're associated with whatever your, your catalyst is. So Yeah, and, I mean, and we, um, for real-time alert subscribers, they know this. Like, there are very few people that are good at short selling um, because they haven't done it. I've had to show every timestamp since we started the firm. And by the way, the 10 years prior to that, that's how I made my career. So again, yeah, we have a risk management bend to us. But I have a lot of reps when it comes to short selling. I mean, if you look at real-time alerts to stats, not that you'd have to zoom in on this, but these aren't you know, fake news. In October, when a lot of people are, wow, stocks did well. No, no, they did horrendously. And if you covered all your shorts at the beginning of October, then they did well. So making these turns, particularly on your shorts, is important. In October, I had 42 closed positions, 28 of those were shorts, and we batted 76%. Again, with no, no skew. I mean, the, the average gain on the shorts and the longs was pretty much the same. So again, that's, and, and the same thing with the losses. So that's just trading, particularly for options traders. What I found is that my process is great because again, I give you the range, I give you the signal, and then within two to three days, I book it. That's what we're doing. That's what risk management is. That's called trading. Uh, everything else that we're talking about is trending asset allocations. So again, we do both. I do, if you could do both, I think you would. Uh, and, you know, you'd rather have Lamar Jackson, who's mobile, than uh, Joe Flacco. Maybe. I think if you could have somebody who could run and throw the ball further, yeah. or would you just want a value guy who can just throw the ball far and can't run? <laughs> I mean, so yeah. you don't want to have, I think that's a real important thing when you're trying to run money for real, is you have to have a multi-factor, uh, again, multi-duration model that, that can do a lot of things well as opposed to just one thing well. Mm -hmm. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, in quad three, as you mentioned, we are in. What is your call for the U.S. dollar? Down. Um, so peaking of the U.S. dollar, that's been a big theme of ours. Again, the dollar goes up. I don't know what slide it would be on, but we back tested the dollar, like everything else. 97. Like cocoa and cattle against the quads. On slide 97, you can see that the dollar has a high expected value in only one economic quadrant, and that's in quad four. So that's why the dollar did so well, because we basically tagged a bunch of quad fours in the last year. Uh, now, as you get out of quad four, the dollar is a sell. 
So I take it out of my asset allocation model, a full big 10 to 12% position uh, against other currencies. It was awesome. Uh, look, at, look at the dollar against the Argentine peso. That was a Ooh. joke. I mean, so again, you look at it against a lot of different things. So now the dollar becomes, okay, the first thing when you own something is, and you want to get out of it is you sell it. And then the next thing is you short it on the bounce at the lower high when it breaks the trend. That's what the dollar looks like to me. I haven't shorted it quite yet, but I'm looking at it. It's getting pretty close to the level that I would. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, on the other side of the dollar trade, do you still like gold and then gold miners? Yeah. Oh, I think that's the next phase of, of gold. I mean, uh, a lot of people have, you know, kind of whatever these anxieties about gold as they should. The only time you really should, though, is when you're in quad two. So gold competes with real yields. And when real yields were rising throughout 2017, we were short gold. It's not that complicated. And then when that changed and real yields started to fall, growth and inflation started to fall, we got long gold, Q4 of last year. So uh, that's just a real yield point. If you look at the all-time high in gold, which is in 2011, you had that happening, but you also had a dollar, not, 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 not collapsing, crashing to a 40-year low. Ben Bernanke devaluing it as fast as a human could do. And that was really, to get both those things happening at the same time is what would give gold a run at that $1,900 level. Totally, totally. All right, keep moving here. Uh, NT is asking, can you focus on the Eurozone's quad data and walk through how you would choose sectors overseas? Uh, he knows that the playbook uh, differs from the U.S. versus internationally for sectors, but uh, he'd also like to think about how you're thinking about Europe now. Yeah, well, it's, it, it doesn't, um, the rules don't change. It, the complexion of the indexes change. So again, if you look at the, go back to slide, I think 28, you, you'll see the countries uh, that we like in Europe. So those would want, be the ones that have three green boxes in the next three quarters. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, actually I would be fine buying the index in, in mm -hmm. most of those. And I name, just to name three, uh, to, France, to, Germany, Italy. France, Germany, and Italy would be the easy ones. Uh, EWP, EWQ, and EWG are the ETFs. Mm -hmm. And then just on, on, so we back test every relevant factor exposure across geographies. Um, what we find is that, particularly for developed markets, is that the, 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 the sectoral composition of what tends to work and, and was an overweight and is an underweight is pretty consistent across economies. I mean, duh, interest rates and currencies obviously have an outsized influence on sectoral and stock factor leadership. Uh, so for Europe, the problem with Europe, a lot of these indices, is that growth you know, tends to work in quad two. There's not a lot of growth companies in no. Europe, you know, <laughs> like this is unfortunately is a fact of the matter. And so one of the places that you could actually start to think about on the long side um, is European banks. European financials yep. tend to work really well in quad two. So if you think about what quad two is, the opposite of quad four in economic terms, growth's now accelerating, inflation's now accelerating. You're effectively telling the ECB to do less of what's destroyed the banks over the past, you know, 12 to 18 mm -hmm. months. You can really make the case that it's been destroying them for a longer period than that. But again, so if you remove, you know, the absence of, a, of an incremental headwind is, is now a tailwind. Uh, in that regard. So, you know, if we're right on, on Quad 2 in Europe, we suspect we'll be right on the long side of European banks. And by the way, we've been short European banks prior to this iteration for, you know, almost two years now. Mm -hmm. And we went negative on Europe yep. at the end of 2017. Now, for my money, I'm just going to buy the ETFs that I said. So I'm mm -hmm. not going to dig into, um, again, I, I think it's, it's, it's a fair enough way to set up. And I like my U.S. exposures as well. Um, so again, fully loaded with my commodity exposures. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, if you want to get into the sectors, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is what we spend a lot of our time uh, discussing with institutional clients. Yeah. Um, uh, let's get a few more before we wrap up. Um, Mario's saying he's learning more to pay, uh, learning to pay more attention to implied volatility. <laughs> um, can you briefly explain how to analyze the data on slide 23? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, implied vol versus realized volatility. Uh, slide 23 is what I'm looking at. Uh, this comes out at 7.30 every night, so our Bloomberg data comes out in Bloomberg. Great, great data source, great. Um, they don't think I'm particularly great, but that doesn't matter. I'm not biased towards people that don't like me, or I'd have a lot of, a lot, a lot of people that I'd have. There's a lot of people. You know, it's just, just whatever. Uh, but again, what you see there is implied vol versus um, implied vol, which is trading on the front month against what's been realized volatility in the last 30 days. And then I show you in each column what, what it was the day before, what it was a week ago, what it was a month ago, just to contextualize with a Z-score, you know, where you are. So what happens when you get a deep implied volatility discount versus what's been realized in the last 30 days, think again in the last 30 days, well, people are like, well, what could possibly go wrong? I don't really have to buy protection. Now, if the market goes down like it did seven weeks ago, six weeks ago, I think it ended about five weeks ago, close enough to the bottom, whatever, um, that's when people had implied volatility premiums because what had been realized is no volatility in the prior 30 days all came on. And then they're like, oh, shit, I got to buy protection. So these, this is a way to fade positioning. So the old wall talk about like these ridiculous surveys from the broker, the mystery broker. Uh, it's like enough. There's daily data on what the entire machine is doing. That's what that is. 80 plus, 85% of daily trading is systematic. And all, almost all hedge funds are delta hedging using options because they can't trade the underlying, the, the cash uh, equities. So again, there's, there's plenty of opportunity here to use that as your backboard. Think of it, I like to fade, right? I'm five foot nine, I have no choice, I can't dunk. So I'm fading constantly off the backboard because my process is that way. So I wanna fade. When the market leans one way, I wanna buy the things that I like. When the market leans my way, I wanna sell some of that and, and keep doing it over and over again. And that's how we use the options market as a daily signal. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then uh, we'll end with this question. Last question. Um, it says, if you, your U.S. CPI model has an average absolute forecast error of 17 bips and you have year-over-year -year headline CPI accelerating by 11 bips in Q4, as such, how can you have such conviction in the return of inflation over the, both the intermediate term? Well, we have market signals, too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a geeky way to ask the question, personally. I mean, it sounds smart, but it doesn't change how, we, how we'd answer the question. Uh, it's the highest level conviction you're going to have. You know in this game to bat like 60, 70% makes you an all-star for life, right? I mean, you got to go with something, and that's a, combining the two, A-B testing, the quad, and the signal. CRB index from this morning, Josephine, in the macro show. What is the signal telling you? There are 19 commodities in that composite index, the CRB index. What is it doing? Is it confirming or denying that you should have conviction in commodities? I'd say that that's a confirmation. You know, uh, I'm not a technician, but it looks like it's sloping upwards. Yeah, so natural gas is up 15% in the last week. Confirming or denying your conviction. Bean deal. Heck, he's going to buy buy more beans than anyone's ever bought. Confirming or denying. So again, you don't just use one little thing. And thank you for calling it out because it's nice that somebody actually read the byline of what's <laughs> no, in what no we do. Because we actually don't need to write white papers. We back tested this. Again, but to get grounded on that is a mistake. You have to have a singular process that includes multiple factors. You wouldn't just use the GIP model. That's certainly a good tool and a good baseline to have, but you need the rest of the toolbox. Yeah, totally. And also, I think uh, let's end with you know one of our favorite guys, one of our founding forefathers in terms of our, how we think about the world. You know, this question is focusing on the average. What we're talking about is specifically the particular of Q4 of 2019, where we have a lot of data that seems to suggest yes. that underlying core inflationary pressures are rising. 
We haven't seen any budge off of, of course, CPI at the highs, median CPI making new cycle highs, wages making new cycle highs. So effectively, all we need to do is get forward in time to lap the deflation yep. that we saw in Q4 exactly. of 18. That's where we get a lot of the conviction. Well, the conviction is summarized with 100 slides, and I highlighted, hopefully, gave you some more conviction in those. So again, that's not, it's not an annoying question. It's just the way that people think. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the question because it really isolates how people think. Darius said it, our favorite guy, that's the forefather of fractal math. And the words that Darius just said quickly, because Darius thinks mathematically. He doesn't think euphemistically. He doesn't think emotionally. He doesn't think politically. How many people can you say that about that you actually waste your time watching on TV? How many? Be honest with yourself. I mean, the point of fractal math is the particular thing that's happening, not the average of times, mm -hmm. okay? How, there are entire edifices of Wall Street that talks about, well, the average this, the average that. It's never the average. It's the particular thing that happens on the margin, okay? Within the construct of the whole nonlinear ecosystem. That's how you should be thinking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's something, that's an opportunity for you. Even if you're not a subscriber to, to, to our network or a better way, you just learn that you can learn something. I learn something every day. I read a book every 10 days. I always learn what I don't know. But man, do I see a lot of people on TV with a high level of conviction and no knowledge. That is a real low quotient thing to be watching or wasting your time on. Do other things. Like I said this morning, go kiss your wife or whoever you want to go kiss. Go walk your dog, drink some wine, smoke a cigarette. I don't care. I have no biases on any of that. That's, that's up to you. But wasting your time on the average, the moving averages. Oh. <laughs> well, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> well, that's, that's Wall Street, right? Like, the average is what they sell you, right? Because it gets them paid a nice, easy coupon clipping fee. We're, we're here, we wake up every day, Lord willing, to find out the shape of the distribution. Where are you in the distribution? Where have you come from in the distribution? Yes. Has the distribution itself morphed over time? What conditional factors in the economy cause the distribution to change? These are all the questions we're asking ourselves on a daily basis and using data in a repeatable fashion and format to get to those answers that ultimately derive the asset allocation that you guys see on slide 99. That's an awesome summary, man. Cool. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much. We appreciate you guys for joining us and hope you guys learned something. I appreciate you guys coming back as well. Have a good day out there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.